It's good for God's people to uphold biblical standards, the scripture says. We've been talking about some of those biblical standards. And tonight, let's go on. Well, last week we talked about if a man does not provide for his own family, he's worse than a heathen. Even the heathen provide for their family. My father and my mother did not profess to be born-again Christians at all. But my father and mother would work from when it was dark in the morning until after dark at night and work on Saturdays and Sundays and do whatever was necessary, plant gardens, do whatever was necessary. My mother took in laundry. My mother did all types of things like that to provide for us children. And Paul's saying, if you say you're a Christian and don't provide for your own, you're worse than an infidel. Secondly, he said that every person, God does, uh, has a distaste for laziness. In the Garden of Eden, he said after the curse that we're going to earn our living by the sweat of our brow. And all the way through the New Testament, the scriptures are very clear that if you don't work, neither should ye. That you're supposed to be, put your hand to the plow, your ear to the ground, your shoulder to the wheel, try to work in that position. Be industrious. Solomon said in the book of Proverbs that a steady plotter is going to succeed and prosper. But people who try to get rich quick, a curse comes with that money when you get rich quick. Now tonight let's go on to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 9. I'm going to try to go through these a little quicker tonight if I possibly can. Verse 9, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. In other words, you already love the brethren, but love them more. And I want to encourage you as believers not to be satisfied just to have friends in church. Learn to develop a love for those around you that are Christians. When I talk about love, a love, if we love someone, we're willing to lay down our life for them if the need arises. To give whatever is necessary to help them in their situation. Verse 11, and that you study to be quiet. And by the way, that word study in the Greek has much more emphasis to it. It actually means to be ambitious, to pursue eagerly, to aspire to. Make this a, a primary goal in your life, he says, to be quiet and to do your own business. Now, I see, Paul was having problems back in those days with people who said, well, I'm just going to trust the Lord to supply my needs and they just began to loaf and go from door to door, house to house, and eat in different people's homes and, and carry gossip everywhere. It's one thing to be a gossip, but it, it's another thing to be someone who will accept and receive gossip. I've said it before, I say it again. Somebody has to be able to see a word here that says garbage disposal written on your ear because they know who will... Do you know that people fi actually find out who will accept garbage in their ears? Doesn't take them long. There's some people they won't say a word to because they know if they do, they get rebuked for it. But the Word of God says that we are not to go around gossiping and carrying tales about one another. We're to pray. Someone says, go to the throne and not to the phone when you hear something happen. I like that. Go to the throne and not to the phone when something happens. Pray and ask God to minister to that situation. That you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Then he tells us the result of that if we do it. There in verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. 
one of the worst things that I can possibly hear people say today is I would rather do business with anyone besides but a Christian. I really believe that if someone will be a service-minded person, and you go into business and you do everything that you do, not for the people, but as under the Lord, when you look at it, well, they'll never see that, but the Lord sees it. Well, that's just a little mistake, and they'll never know it, but the Lord will notice it. You do it as under the Lord. But when you do it as under the Lord, then you're going, they're going to come back and say, wow, there's something different about this person. I mean, you've got to go that second and third mile above and beyond what anybody else would do in business. Go that second and third mile. Even if it costs you right now, let people know I'm going the second and third mile because I have to answer to God and I want to be honest before Him. That you may walk honestly toward them that are without. And what's the end result when you do it? That you may have lack of nothing. Isn't that good? Now turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter, beginning with verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we need any higher authority than that? Not we suggest, but we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, he's talking about oral and written instructions that Paul had sent to them before. And he said, now, if you find anybody that's not obeying and following the pattern that we set down in the Word, how many of you know that if we find someone that's walking disorderly and contrary to what the principles are in God's Word, that we're commanded not to fellowship with them? You know, everybody's talking about everybody love everybody. What is it? Uh, we're one in the Spirit. We're one in the Lord. I'll tell you, I literally shudder in my spirit when I go into some of these huge rallies and everybody holding on to everybody and holding up each other's hands and singing, we're one in the Spirit, we're one in the Lord. And when I know there are people in there who are not operating according to what this Word says, saying and doing things, many of them, their homes are a total disaster. We have to be careful who we say we're one in the Spirit with. And I'm not trying to say we're the only ones with the answer. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm talking about there are principles in God's Word. And if we find people that are walking disorderly, not according to these words, I didn't say it. Now, Paul the Apostle said it, and you underscore there that Pastor Webb did not say this. Withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he has received of us. Now, here's the guidelines. For yourselves know how you ought to what? King James says, follow us. But the Greek actually says, imitate us. Well, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Paul in another place says, follow me as I follow Christ. There are some people who say, I don't follow any man. Well, Paul the Apostle said, follow me. And this is why it's required of leaders to be examples unto the believers. That's why Paul says, here are the requirements of those that are in leadership. If they're walking disorderly and these things are not true in their life, they ought not to be in leadership. Paul the Apostle says, You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, for we behaved ourselves, we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. He says, We were not only there working with you and walking uprightly before you, but we even worked night and day ourselves. He was a mobile helm salesman, you know. 
he says, we didn't take, when we got anything from you, we even paid for it because this was a mission area. We came in here just to start to build this work up and we didn't charge any of you for it. Paul says, I'm not, that I, we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not the right or power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. We want to be the model for you. We want you to see that you should work. We want you to see that you should be busy about your own business, that you shouldn't lay around and be loafing and expect others to support you. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now, if a person can't work, physically can't work, it doesn't say they should. There are those who are legitimately in need of support. But Paul says, don't add to that burden. If you can work, work. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. The King James word for that, again, is, is like slackers, not carrying their share of the load. A bunch of slackers. Working not at all, but are busybodies. Busy in other people's businesses is actually what the implication of the Greek is. Busy in other people's business. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, there's that authority. We command this by our, and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. That ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. He says, now that does not mean that you should quit supporting those that are in need. Don't get tired of it. Now, there, let me tell you something. In the years, the many years I've been in the ministry, there are times when you think, what is the, what's the use? You help somebody, and then they just turn right around and slap you in the face or do some totally ridiculous thing to you. And you almost give up. And then you say, well, that doesn't make any difference. That's their problem. They'll have to answer to God for that. I'm going to have to answer to God if I get weary in well-doing. Don't let somebody else... That some, something that somebody else does to you change you and keep you from doing what God commands you by the Lord Jesus Christ to do. Don't become weary in well-doing. And if any man, here's another powerful verse, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, the things we've written in this book, if they don't obey this, note that man and have what? No company with him. I'm concerned they're, they're saying, I mean, I think we ought to open the door and let all come in that are in need, but I don't think we should tear the door off the, off the building, throw it away, and just let anything come in. The Scripture says that there are standards and requirements within the church. He says, have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Another translation says, stay away from him. I've had people come to me and say, Brother Joe, what should I do about this person. They are coming over and they, all they want to do is talk about other people. All the, I say, just tell them that you haven't got time. You've got better things to do than to sit and listen about other people's, what other people are doing and gossiping and this sort of thing. Just tell them you don't have time anymore. If that doesn't do it, take your phone off the hook. And if you have to finally get blunt with them and say, look, I am not interested in doing these things that are contrary to the Word of God. This is what the Bible calls being a busybody. And the Word of God condemns that. I'm not going to have that. You know, we really don't like to be confrontational, do we? I mean, I'll walk clear around the block to avoid a fight. But there comes a time when you've got to stop and say, that's, that's the end of it right there. And Paul says, this is the end of it. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet, now it goes on, 
Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Warn him. This is why we need to know what the Word of God says. We see somebody doing that, we need to say, Brother, do you know what the Word of God says over here concerning gossiping? Do you know what the Word of God says over here concerning cheating? Do you know what the Word of God says about over here? And these are not verses that you stick up on your refrigerator door to memorize. But they're so important for us to understand. We're not trying to be special, separate from everybody else. We're trying to be scriptural, biblical. And in these last days, let me tell you something, we're going to have to be careful because everything that crawls out from under a rock is calling itself a Christian today. We have to know what the Word of God says. We need to warn them. We need to exhort them. We need to stay with what the Word has to say. And God will honor us for it. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. I can start, actually, in verse 1. I'll read down to verse 8 so you get the... Uh, the context of it. Since ye then are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Colossians 3, verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Mortify means what? Put to death. That's right. Declare. Reckon yourselves dead indeed unto sin. Now, if you're from the South, then you know what reckon is. I reckon I will. That means, you know, that's your mindset. That's what you're going to do. Verse 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which, while, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now, uh, here's what you ought to do now that you're a Christian. Now, ye also put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Now, First of all, the, the words I want you to notice in that verse, what, what do you see as the strongest words that you need to see, first off? Put off. What does it mean to put off? I'm putting off, aren't I? An act of my will, I decide that this is going to come off, and so I take my coat off. It does not involve saying, Holy Ghost, you do it. The scripture says you and I are to mortify ourselves. We are to put ourselves to the work. They declare we're to reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin. Make, make no provision for the flesh whatsoever. We're to, when we see these things in us, remember what I talked about, the glass that was full, and when somebody shakes it, whatever's in the glass is what comes out. And so when the, when the Lord comes along, or the Lord lets somebody come along, or the enemy comes along and shakes our, our cup, Whatever splashes out, if we see something, one of these things there that should not be there, then he says, begin to deal with that thing. Put that thing to death. I know that there are some people who say, well, I'd just like to have deliverance and get it over with. It isn't always deliverance. Sometimes it just takes plain old death. In fact, very seldom is it a problem for deliverance. Usually it's a mindset that you've had in the past where you've allowed yourself to think or act in a certain way, and now you have to say, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over this mind of mine, and I command you, mind, you'll do what the Word of God says. Only those things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report with virtue and praise. I command you in Jesus' name, that's all you're to think on. 
I want to tell you exactly what happens when you start doing that. 30 seconds later, the same thing will come right back in your mind again. I command you in Jesus' name. You will not mind. I command you. You're my mind. I take authority over you in Jesus' name. I'm pulling down those imaginations, those strongholds in the name of Jesus. The Word of God says that we're to flee fornication. If there are thoughts of fornication in my mind, I rebuke them in the name of Jesus. They'll not be them. If it's jealousy or if it's anger or whatever it might be, any of these things that he's talking about here in verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, they are to be out of my mouth. By the way, you know that, first of all, got to go through your mind before they come out of your mouth, but you know they got to be in your heart first? Jesus said, for out of the heart proceeded adulteries, fornications, all murders, all these things. It comes from the heart into the mind and out through our mouth. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And that's why we have to change our heart in order to begin to change our mind. By changing our heart, I mean I am now taking charge. I'm, uh, I'm declaring that Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is in charge of my body. And if he's in charge, then wherever there's darkness, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to go in and, and shed his light, the Word of God, and I'll find what the answer is in God's word to conquer that area in my life, to have victory. Now, my heart is going to be filled with love for Christ and the word of God. I'm going to fill it up. The entrance of his word giveth light, the scripture says. Then when it comes into my mind, if my mind is in, if I'm in control of the mind, and I yield, the power, yield to the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, and ask the Holy Spirit to bring to my mind scripture verses to give me victory over these different thoughts then my language will change. My attitude will change. I've had people say, I can't get rid of this anger. And I, I just have to be honest with them. That isn't it at all. What you're really saying is, I won't get rid of this anger. Because you and I have the authority to make ourselves think what we're supposed to think, or else Jesus and Paul were misinformed when they told us what we're to think about. If we have no control. Yes, it's going to take a struggle to do it. But if we're determined, I'm going to put those things off of me. I'm not going to be ang allow anger in my life anymore. I'm not going to allow uh, malice, blasphemy. I'm not going to curse and swear anymore. I'm not going to think about filthy jokes anymore. These things are going to be gone. Then lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off. Let me ask you, first of all, when were you supposed to put off the old man? When you received Christ. Verse 10, and have put on... Let me read 9 again. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the likeness or image of him that created him. The new man is renewed in knowledge after the likeness of him that created him. More you and I know about Jesus Christ, his power, his authority in our life, and the promises he's made us. The more we understand of the covenant agreement that he has with us, the more we're going to be able to be like him and walk. You know that that's why I've been giving this whole series on Sunday mornings on knowing the truth. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And the devil can only get you in areas where you don't know what the word says. You see, this new man becomes renewed as we learn more about Jesus Christ, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, now this is the kingdom of God where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. This was a miracle verse back in that day. 
I mean, the Jews would not even have anything to do with the Samaritans. I mean, with the yeah, Samaritans or the Gentile dogs. And here Paul's saying, hey, now that you're in the kingdom of God, the old man's been put off, the new man's been put on, recognize that God has created all men equal in his sight. Put on, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. Be extremely merciful to those that are around you. Have mercy on others. The scripture said, if you show mercy, you will what? Receive mercy. With every word, every deed, every thought, you're planting a crop. And every time you plant a crop, you don't get back in like time. You sow to the wind, you reap a whirlwind. If you sow mercy, you'll receive mercy. If you bless others, then others will bless you. If you think anger and resentment and bitterness, it's going to come back to you. So the word of God says here that in the body of Christ, if we put off the old man, we put on the new man, renewed in knowledge after the image of Christ, we should have bowels of mercies, be kind and humble. Humbleness of mind. Humbleness of mind means each preferring others better than themselves. Very hard for me to receive blessings without thinking, how can I help others be able to experience the joy that I had? I, I've always thought, and one of these days, by the grace of God, I'm going to be able to do it. I've always thought, Lord, no one on earth knows what a blessing it was to me 12 years ago to walk into a little church in South Orlando and have a man walk up to me and ask me to go outside for a minute and hand me the keys to a brand new Fleetwood Rome diesel Cadillac. I mean, when I drove away from there, I said, Lord, I don't understand your mercy. I don't understand your goodness and your kindness to me, but I bless you. And I thank you. And for the next five years, my sweetheart and I used that car to be able to go up in the mountains for her to enjoy that time away for five years. And that was such a blessing to me. And I said, Lord, one of these days, by your grace and mercy, I want you to be able to let me see other pastors who have tried to be faithful, even though they don't have a big work somewhere. I can just walk up to them and say, God told me to give you these keys. It's not enough for me to get blessed. I, I just wish that the Lord would, Lord, let me, let me be able to bless others that way. Meekness. May I just tell you, meekness is not weakness. Scripture says meekness. Even when you can retaliate, even when you could take authority, even when you could put others down, you don't take advantage of that power. But you see, long suffering, the Lord will send people in your life just to, they're just like a rasp. God's going to send people in your way from time to time to see if you will be long suffering. It's not the natural thing. But if we're going to uphold biblical standards when relating to others, we are to be long-suffering. Forbearing one another. Forbearing means holding out when it's unbearable. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now again, I have to keep emphasizing. This is a cardinal principle of Christian doctrine. Without my willingness to forgive, there is no forgiveness available to me. Scripture says if we don't forgive others their transgressions against us, others, then he will not forgive us. And he gives the illustration of a man who owed $10 million and his master forgave him all of it. 
And a man came along that was his servant who had not given, who had owed him one day's salary. And he said, I, I'll get it for you quickly as I can. He said, now or you go to prison? He said, I don't have it. He threw him in prison. And Jesus said that the master, his master heard about that and called him back and said, you wretched servant, here I just forgave you $10 million and you wouldn't forgive him one day's salary. He said, take this un, unprofitable servant, throw him into the, the outer darkness and, and let him stay there until he's paid the full price. And, and the scripture says, and so shall your heavenly father do to you if you from your heart do not forgive those who trespass against you. But he'll turn you over to the tormentors until you pay the full price. It's never an option for a Christian whether we'll forgive or not forgive. We're the loser if we don't forgive. I've known of people that have carried bitterness for years and just chewed them up and they've come up to the person they were bitter against and said, you know, for 15 years I've had bitterness in my heart towards you, but I forgive you right now. And the other person says, well, boy, I'm sure sorry you had that. I, I wasn't even aware that you were upset with me. And the other person that had carried it all those years had ulcers and arthritis. And some of you know that if you carry anger or hatred or unforgiveness, arthritis and a lot of other things can hit you. And I'm not saying every case of arthritis is due to that, but in many instances, there have been those who have been set free from anger and unforgiveness and hatred, and, and the arthritis leaves them. See, the tormentors come on you when you don't forgive. It's not worth it. There's not a ticket in this world that I'm willing to pay for in the price of unforgiveness. Even as Christ forgave you, so also be. He almost also talks about the quality of forgiveness. Even as. How much did Christ forgive you? Everything. And when he buried the hatchet, he left the handle sticking out of the ground, right? And every time you do something wrong, you get historical, right? In the hysterical, I said historical, he goes back and brings up everything you did wrong in the past again, throws it in your face. Even as Christ forgave, you forgive. Forgiveness is forgotten. Forget it. Until you can forgive, even as Christ has forgiven you, you receive no forgiveness, but you're turned over to the tormentors. I told you, I've known a couple who've been married for 40 years and have done that, and they have no intention of changing. But they're not going to leave each other. They know they can't. They're married for life. But they're going to go through the next 40 years doing the same thing. Now, you know, that to me is just plain dumb gone to see. You can't get any dumber than that. Why aggravate it? I mean, forgive and wipe it all out and start all over again, even as God for Christ sake has forgiven me. I'm talking about what's good for believers. Now, he goes on higher than this. And above all, we thought these things were important. And above all these things, put on charity, which is love. One way street. Where it says, John 3.16, for God so agape. Love the world, it means non-reciprocal. When I had nothing to do with him, love came and died on the cross. When I, I was walking away from him. That's the kind of love he's saying we should have. Not, not the teleo love in the Greek, which means you love me and I'll love you. Not eros, or erotic love. Well, I'll, see, erotic love is give me what I want. I'll love you as long as you give me what I want. If you don't give me what I want, well, I'll take a hike. He's talking about agape love. One way love. Well, regardless of what people do, that's why I said even with husbands and wives, when you make that vow to God, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health, and in health, and in health, as long as you both shall live. 
It means that you should love your wives, love your husbands, regardless of their conduct. Why? Because the Lord says you are supposed to. No, but if I did that, they'd get away with everything. You know, I don't get away with it. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, saith the Lord. No, but if I always didn't ever, you know, I'm not talking about not correcting, not having a difference of opinion, but I'm talking about respecting each other and loving each other for the quality of the fact that they, each one of you are a person in Christ and each of you make mistakes. Agape or not. It's not based upon what you do. It's what I choose to do. I'll love you regardless. When they were nailing Jesus to the cross, what did he say? Lord, get these suckers right now. Nail them right here. He can look at people through the eyes of Christ. You see, only do that with this kind of love. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you're called in one body, be thankful, but let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the more you get to know of Christ, the more you're going to have the fear of God in your heart. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. I don't know what you and I do all week long, but let me ask you, could you tell people that you're doing it under the Lord? This is what Paul says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Where people, well, give God glory for Scripture says that they might see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in, good, which is in heaven. There are a lot of people who go around doing good works and say, why do you do this? Well, I just like to be a good fellow and all the credit goes to you. Well, how come you went over and helped that person? Well, I just like to help my neighbor. Well, that just makes you sound like a good guy. Why not be able to say, because the Word of God says that we're to have concern and care for those in the community that, have less, that are less fortunate than us. God has been so good to me. I'm just so grateful that he gives me the strength and the wisdom and the talent to be able to help others. What a privilege it was to be able to help that person. Giving thanks unto the Father. Biblical relation standards when relating to other people. And the Word of God says it's good for us to have biblical standards when we relate to one another. Putting off the old man, putting on the new man, walking in the Spirit, exhorting the whole of the Word of God and then using it to exhort others Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to God. It's good to be upholding biblical standards when relating to others. I want you to turn to Romans, the 13th chapter, with me, beginning with verse 1, and it has to do with our relationship to those in positions of authority in our government. How many of you know that God says that those who are in government are called by God in their, to their position? Whenever you and I appeal to someone who's in government, we must go to them not in an antagonistic way, but rather saying, I understand and I respect the fact that you have been called of God to be a servant of his to uh, function in the position that you're in right now. That means the policeman, that means the, the, uh, the judge, that means the uh, motorcycle cop that catches you if you're doing something wrong. The Word of God says we're to show them high regard. Let's look and see what the Scripture says about it. And by the way, these are not suggestions. These, again, are biblical principles by which to operate, and if we'll operate by them, God has promised He will bless us. If we disobey, He says in here that we're disobeying Him, not them. I want you to take note of that. Verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now, in this case, He's talking about government powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now, 
Let me tell you something. That means that in China and in Russia, in Nicaragua, the governments that be are ordained of God, even though we say, how can they be ordained of God? Well, let me just give you an example that I've given before, but it, it impressed me so much. Had any other government that I know of in existence today taken over China, we could not have had the ministry that's taking place in China today. Chiang Kai-shek, when he was running China, you couldn't go 15 miles with what you'd run into another dialect, and a missionary could go over and serve in an area about 10 miles or 15 miles diameter. If he got out of that, he'd have to learn another dialect, and then another dialect, and another dialect. The whole country was just a mass of different dialects. Not only that, there were all kinds of false religions that would go out and feed the people, the dead people in the graves. They'd put food on the graves, then the animals would come at night and eat it up, and they'd say the spirits ate it. And they had all kinds of false religions over there. Chiang Kai-shek just let that continue on, and there's just a, a morass, a big mess over there. And if you tried to go and witness to them, you had to get a, write a Bible in this language for 15 miles, and then a different dialect here, and a different dialect there. And they only had a few dialects, the Bible for a few dialects in China. Now, when this cruel Chinese dictator, communist dictator came in, first thing he did was to find the short, shortened Chinese vocabulary or alphabet that a missionary had written. He claimed it, and he called it the Mao Short Script. He commanded all the schools to teach nothing but the Mao Short Script to the children. All of a sudden, every Chinese child, a young person spoke the same language and read the same language. He went through and put roads from one end of China. Now, I'm not, I'm not promoting communism, believe me, I'm not. But I'm just saying that it was because of what he did that these things took place. Suddenly, they went out and plowed and bulldozed all the old graveyards under. Went down, dug up bodies and pushed them all over to where nobody could find their ancestors, just buried them all, and said if you go out and try to feed your ancestors, you'll be shot. But for some reason, those religions died out real quickly. Then he built roads from one end of China to the other. Then he hooked up communication systems, radios and television and everything else from one end of the country to the other. So that today when we print Bibles, some years ago this church sent me to China with $12,000 worth of Bibles. This church purchased $12,000 worth of Chinese Bibles and New Testaments and I was able to go over there and take in a big load of them myself. And I knew that once I got those in the hands of the Chinese, they could take them anywhere in China and they'd be able to read the Word of God. He did in a few years what would have taken hundreds of years by any other process. Now I want you to know that God said he used Nebuchadnezzar to judge Israel. When Nebuchadnezzar came down upon Israel, he used him as his battle axe to judge Israel. And then later when he became proud, God judged him. And I want to tell you something. You know, God may use Russia or China to judge us as a nation. We've got to realize we don't dare get proud and think, well, nobody can touch us because God's going to protect us. If we fall away from God and deny Him and turn away from the Word of God, we'll be judged or He's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. What I'm trying to tell you is that no matter who the man is in power, you're to submit to Him. Now, again, I'm going to put limits on it. What is the limitation when you say you're to obey those in authority? As long as they don't ask you to do something contrary to the Word of God. Now, when they ask you to do that, and you must, first of all, appeal to them and say, may I do something else in place of that because of my conviction. If they say, no, you will do this, then you say, I can't do that. You either do that or we'll throw you in prison. 
you'll have to do whatever you want to do, but I can't of a good conscience before my God do this. And really, I don't want to disobey you. I really want to do everything I can to promote you and help you to be successful, but I can't do this. Please let me do something else. I'll be glad to do something else. No, you must do this or go to prison. Then I must go to prison. I understand that that's the rule you have. I'll have to go to prison. See, one of the biggest problems we have today is when people violate the laws, afterwards they complain when they have to pay the price. And I want to tell you something. There is unrighteousness in our judicial system. There's no question about it. But I, I have a higher judicial system than I look to. Do you know that some of our dear friends that went over to Tampa and demonstrated against abortion were thrown into jail for up to six months and had to pay hundreds of dollars worth of fines and promised they wouldn't do it again. But then when ACT UP group, the homosexual group, went to New York City and broke into a Catholic mass when the archbishop was holding mass, they threw blood all over the altar. They threw condoms all over the congregation. They went up and desecrated some of the wafers and chained themselves to the pews and cursed and screamed in the face of the archbishop and everything. They were taken out, led to the jail, taken before the judge, were given no sentences, no, no prison time whatsoever, no fines whatsoever. They were told they would have to do a little bit of social service and it would be better if they didn't do that again. Totally unjust. But you see, that's why as Christians, Paul says, what can separate us from the love of God? Persecution? Death? Tribulation? Or no, none of these things are separation from the love of God. We have to recognize that the powers of be are of God. That we will submit to them. If they ask us to do something we can't do, we'll simply say, well, I'm sorry, because of my convictions, I can't do that. Even if I have to die, I can't do that. What did the three Hebrew children say? He says, you bow down to this idol. So we can't bow down to that idol. We serve the living God. You'll either bow down to it when the music plays again, or I'll throw you into the furnace. They said, well, whether you throw us in the furnace or not, that's up to you. He said, then your God won't deliver you. And they said, well, you know, if God delivers us, that's fine. But if he doesn't deliver us, nevertheless, we won't bow down to this idol because that's sin. And you know the story that they heated up the oven seven times hotter and threw the three Hebrew children in, but there were four in the furnace when they got thrown in there. And they looked into the fire and there were four people walking around with no ropes. The ropes were burned off of them. And Nebuchadnezzar called and told them to come up out of there. Can you imagine walking up out of a fiery furnace? And the scripture said they didn't have the smell of smoke on them. God can protect us. But I want to tell you something, God doesn't always protect. There are many Christians who have paved with their lives over in China right now Scores of Christians are dying over there, quietly being slaughtered. Because they're finding out, Christianity is becoming so strong in China right now, they're finding out that the people do not want to join the Communist parties anymore. They'll go into a village and try to get somebody to join the Communist Party, and they say, we really don't need to join the Communist Party. But we're going to pray for you that you will come to know the Lord personally in your heart, and you'll realize that God's put you in that position to glorify Him. We don't want to hear about God. And they're finding they're losing all influence in these areas where thousands upon the hundreds of thousands of people are becoming born-again Christians. And so they're sneaking around and catching these leaders and taking them out and killing them. I want to tell you something. It's the blood of the martyr that's the seed of the church. Every time they kill one, it seems like God sends up a whole bunch more. You know, the Bible says that the righteous are like the palm tree. You know that if, I'm told that if you cut off a palm tree, that the roots will bring up ten in its place. And you cut off those ten, and ten will come up in each one of their places. The death of the one tree brings forth the life of other trees. 
You see, God is still in control. That's why Hebrews talks about all these people that died in faith. The scripture says the world wasn't even worthy of them. Didn't say that shouldn't have happened to them. It said the world wasn't worthy of them. But we have to understand that the government is of God. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now get this. Mark this second verse. It's very important. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Divine judgment. The word is karima in the Greek. God says not only will the government get you, I'll get you. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Have you ever noticed how people scream when the law begins to become more stringent? You know, they're going to make higher penalties now for first offender drug users. Boy, that's had me awake for nights. What am I going to do? Good night. Now it's heavier on me. What am I going to do now? What's he saying here? I mean, you know who doesn't like strict rules? It's lawbreakers. If you have children in your home and you make strong rules and they rebel, that's just evidence that they're lawless, that they're lawbreakers. They're, they've got rebellion in them. And they don't like rules. You know, how many of you adults wish that your parents would tell you, I mean, that your children would tell you you had to be in bed every night at 10 o'clock? Wouldn't that be marvelous? Huh? If you had to be in there and said, in bed at 10 o'clock every night, whoa. Well, what a blessing I'd be to be in bed at 10 o'clock every night. You'd say to the kids, 10 o'clock, oh no, 2 o'clock, you know. It's saying here, the rulers are not a terror to good works, but they that hate evil. When I see patrolmen sitting alongside the road, I think, boy, thank the Lord, they're out there doing their job. And you can be coming up to that place, you'll be coming up to where they are, and the cars go past you, and all of a sudden they come up top of you, and you see all these brake lights going on, you think, ah, oh, they're on the job. One fellow got pulled over by a patrolman and the, he rolled down the window. The patrolman says, you know why I stopped you? He says, yeah. He says, why? He says, because you couldn't catch the rest of them. <laughs> I told my wife, my daughter, I said, you know, I get more rocks thrown on my trunk than I do my hood. Cars flying by me and rocks flying up behind them, landing on my trunk. The rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. By the way, you know, a wise ruler will always praise the obedient. If a ruler is wise, he'll always exalt and hold up to those that are a good example. You know, the problem in our government today, and in, in, many, in our Hollywood and on television and all the rest of it, is we're holding up the wrong standards. We look at these people that, like I said, look like cars and walk like James and smell like cheetah, they say, now there's your example. And they end up in front of a toilet on their faces, uh, dead from an overdose of drugs or alcohol or whatever. And our young people have their walls plastered with these pictures and they're listening to that, that, their music all the time. We've got the wrong examples. You know, David said, I won't let anyone come into my house unless they're godly. I bring them in as examples to those in my family. And I wonder how many homes you know today that profess to be Christians that have ungodly things on their walls as models and ideals for the children. The scripture says that a good government will exalt those that are good. Now you, you notice every once on TV that the police will give awards to people that have done outstanding deeds to protect other people. That's wise. You know what they call whistleblowers? For many, many years, if you were a whistleblower in government, I mean, you're dead in your tracks. I mean, you're done. They'll get rid of you. They'll put you down there pounding pepper in a big barrel in the dark room in the corner 
if you're a, a whistleblower, but they're finally starting to make some rules now to where whistleblowers can be protected. The good old boy system won't always be able to get rid of them. Wilt thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister. Now get this. What does verse 4 there say? It's talking about the, the secular rulers of the government. He is the, that word by the way, you know over in Timothy says, let the deacons rule well. It's the same word. Deacon. Diakonos, deacon, servant. For he is the servant of God to thee for good. It says here that they're ministers of God for good, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now I want you to underline that for those that tell you today that, that the death penalty is not for today. What do you do with a sword? You don't slap somebody's side of the head with a sword. The scripture says he has the right to revenge, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. You see, the same death penalty that God pronounced after the flood, when there was a whole new start with Noah, he said, if any man take any man's life, that man's life shall be taken. Now you got your people today that weep and cry and say, oh, God is so merciful, God is good. God is merciful, but God is also righteous and God is also just. And if a person is saved and they have their life, I mean... They can kill someone and then get saved and God will forgive them for it, but there's still a price that has to be paid to society. God's word says it. What's the worst thing and best thing can happen to a Christian? Go to be with the Lord. God has never rescinded that order that he gave to Noah that if any man takes any man's life, his life shall be taken. In fact, the word of God says if you don't, that the earth, the ground of that nation will become polluted and God will judge that nation. The very blood will cry out from the soil. I want to tell you something. There's a lot of voices crying out to God right now because we have allowed the murder of millions and millions of unborn children. Though the blood of those children is crying out to God right now. And as a nation, I see no possible way we're going to avoid judgment unless there's a Holy Ghost revival and nationwide repentance. Some people think, well, I've gotten away of breaking the law. No, you haven't. God says if you, get, if you violate the law, even if they don't get you, he will. And you know why this is not making much of an impact in many churches today? Because people don't have the fear of God in their heart. You sometimes think, you know, Lord, if you would just, you know, smash a few bugs once in a while, right quick, you might teach some people some lessons. And then immediately when you think that, you think, Dear God, what did I say? If you did that to me, I'd be smashed over and over again. He says, but don't let the long suffering of the Lord, don't you ever think for a minute that that means he isn't going to do it. If God says he's going to do something, you can mark it down. He's in no hurry. He's going to be here tomorrow and the next day and the next day. He's, he, never, he can even wait into eternity if he needs to. But you will, you and I will pay if we don't repent of our sins and put them under the blood. We will pay someone. God says, you're not just coming against government, you're coming against me. Verse 5. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but for conscience sake. What does that mean? You remember what Paul said, I have a clear conscience toward God and man. He's, Paul is saying here, first of all, obey the laws for fear of the punishment you'll get. But even beyond that, he said, so that you can have a clear conscience toward man and God. 
You know, you and I can never be the witness we should be if we don't have a clear conscience. That's why I thank God for the blood of Jesus that washes away, takes away our sins as far as the east is from the west. But the scripture says we are to obey the government and if we don't, first of all, we could receive punishment, but secondly, we can't have even the clear conscience toward him. For this cause, pay ye tribute also. Oh, what does that word tribute mean? Taxes. Taxes. Some people say, I'm not going to pay my taxes. Some people say, I'm going to get out of every dollar. I mean, I'm going to cheat if I have to. I've got an underground economy here going in my life and so forth. God sees us. I'm not advocating that I give one more dollar than I need to to the government. But I am advocating that we're not to steal or rob the government. He says here, but for this cause pay ye. For what cause? Because the government has been placed there by God and it needs financing to operate. The problem we're running into today is taking too much to operate. Again, we are reaping what we've sown. We have winked and laughed at, at corruption and, and cheating and stealing and everything else. It's just pandemic through our whole society. And so the guys sitting up the top say, hey, man, this is going all right. We might as well just pad our own pockets. We're going to be here for so long. Let's just get our own nest feathered. And you see some of the things that are happening today. And again, I'm saying it's nothing short of a Holy Spirit revival that's going to turn this nation around. It is permeated all the way through with corruption. But God is still on the throne. You know overnight God could change everything. But he doesn't tell us he's going to do it until my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked way and pray. Then will I hear from heaven. Not until, you see, we keep saying, boy, this old nation will change. God says, church, you change. When I read that in the paper the other day, is that the reason the church and the world isn't changing, this nation isn't changing today, is because the church no longer has a righteous influence on this society. I said, there, it's exactly what's wrong. That's, what the, that's exactly what the scripture says. Oh, I don't understand why this whole world's getting so wicked because the church is backslidden. The church is violating every principle of God. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's, there it is again, servants, alchemists, deacons, attending continually upon this very thing. You know, I wouldn't want to have to be a priest in the day. When I think, first of all, of the low pay they get and the high risk they have to face every day. And I want to tell you something. When I see what these policemen have to face, and then they go through all the process of arresting these people and spending hours on the paperwork, and put them in jail, and the door's got a revolving door on it. And they're back out on the street before the guy gets his paperwork done. I mean, I would be almost like that if they don't want to straighten this nation up. Let it go to hell. I'd go and find something else to do. I, I just have to admire the fact that they're willing to get out there and pay that price. Verse 7. Render, therefore, to all their dues... Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. I mean, that kind of leaves out anything for us, doesn't it? They're going to give us a loophole and all. When I see people who are Christians act smart mouth to policemen, I really realize that they don't understand biblical principles at all. But you see, I've seen this decline down through the years of my ministry. I can remember when I first went into the ministry, the respect that was held, the, the high position that was held for pastors. You walk into places and you just hear people change completely. 
And nowadays, you walk in around some pastors and you're kind of shocked at what you hear. But I mean, in most places today, pastors don't have much, they don't cut you much more slack than anyone else. I thank God that the Lord still gives me the opportunity to be a witness and testimony. And like I say, when somebody begins to cuss around me, I begin to quote scripture. And I say, if you're going to worship your God and praise your God, I'll praise mine too, okay? They don't know how to react to that. We're to give honor to whom honor, custom to whom, tribute to whom tribute is due. Wherever these things are owed, we're to do it. And by the way, there have been times when I didn't think I was going to have the money to do that, and I went to the Lord and said, Lord, you know I want to obey your word. You know I have tried to be a good steward of my finances. And this tax bill is coming up, and every year it grows, Lord. Only you can undertake me and help me in this situation. I don't know how to do it. And invariably, the Lord has made a way where there is no Why? Because I'm concerned that I obey his word. Now, I want to tell you something. You can't squander your money all year long and say, well, I'm going to pray at the last minute and let God save it. He doesn't do it that way. That's not what it's saying. It's saying when you do your very best and you come up against the wall, that's when you, if you've been faithful in your stewardship, you can go to the Lord and he will make it up to you one way or another. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Owe no man anything. I have a very difficult time when people do things for me and I have to say, Lord, forgive me because you said people will be a blessing to me and I'm to be a blessing to others. It's, it's so much more blessed to give than to receive. But you know, until you've had to receive, it's hard for you to understand what a blessing it is to give to others. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Do you realize that every social problem we have in the United States would be cured if we would just do this? Nobody would steal from anyone else if they didn't want anything stolen from them. Nobody would curse or lie about anyone else if they didn't want anyone doing anything to them. No one would steal another man's wife. No man would molest another man's daughter if we loved our neighbor as ourselves. But the scripture says in the last days men are going to be lovers of their own selves. Covenant breakers, liars, vicious. Some people say, why is it getting so bad? Because the scripture says it's going to and we're, it's just a sign that we're in the last days. But I want to tell you something. God is still on the throne. Some people just get totally frustrated and say, wait, 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 wait a minute. The scripture says when you see these things begin to happen, it doesn't say crawl into a, a bomb shelter and wait till Jesus comes. It says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. Get glad. Hey, it's, it's coming. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. This was written 2,000 years ago. Paul the Apostle expected the coming of the Lord then. He's our salvation nearer than when we believe. It, it could, it's just around the corner. That expectancy is what's kept the church on fire all these years. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. I could preach for a long time in that last verse. I won't, but I'll give you a couple of examples. Make not provision for the flesh. You say, Lord, we're having this problem with pornography. Please help me. And on the way to work, you stop by a shop and go in and get a magazine and stick it under your car seat. Let me tell you, that's more prevalent in the church today than you can imagine. Then other women say, Lord, I want to be able to obey your word where it says whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report with virtue and praise. I just pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Excuse me, Lord, my soap opera is about ready to come on. They turn on that sewage pipe that comes into the house and they listen to it day after day and triangles and quadruple love affairs and back and forth. And they sit there thinking, I wonder if my husband, I wonder if my wife's involved in that type of thing while I'm off at work. They're making provision for the flesh when they're saying, God, set me free from all these things. Now, let me tell you, once we know the word of God, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's why people say, don't talk to me about that. Don't talk to me about that. Well, the first thing I know, they've already heard it. What they're trying to do is ignore it and forget it. (laughs) And I say, hey, that doesn't do you any good to say, no, don't tell me about it. Ignorance is not bliss. We're talking about it's good for God's people to uphold biblical standards when relating to others. I find out a lot of times as Christians, we just take take for granted and assume that everybody knows how Christians are supposed to act toward one another. But I realize more and more every day that many Christians have never studied, had studies on these subjects, and they don't know how they're supposed to relate. This is why Paul said in Romans, the 12th chapter, when you become a Christian, things are supposed to take place in your life where you're not the same anymore. Let's pray before we go into Romans 12. Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, quicken the word to our hearts. I pray that you will cause us to have understanding and wisdom that we'll be able to apply these truths in a practical way, knowing that your way is the right way, the best way, and the only way. I'm so thankful, Father, that The Spirit of God has come to give us insight and understanding and to remind us of everything that the Lord Jesus said to us. Bring all things to our remembrance. And I just pray tonight that we'll not just be hearers, but doers of the Word and consequently see the blessings of God on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In Romans, the 12th chapter, Paul, speaking to Christians now, said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's not enough to become a Christian, quote, unquote. Not enough to say, I believe. Paul says you don't stop there. You go on and give your body as a total sacrifice to Jesus Christ. It becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit to be controlled by the Spirit of God so that wherever you go, the Spirit of God can speak out through and live out through you and people can see Jesus Christ in you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, H-O-L-Y. God wants our vessels to be holy before him, acceptable unto God. By the way, unless they're holy, they're not acceptable unto God. Now, that does not, he's not speaking of sinlessness here. He's talking about an attitude of repentance and constant communication with the Father. When we sin, we claim forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ and know the holiness. See, Jesus Christ is our holiness. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. 
That's what his names mean. Sancti, he's our sanctification. He's our righteousness. And we have to come to him and confess our sins. And he says he'll forgive us and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we're cleansed, we're holy. Not because we've never sinned, but because we found the source of forgiveness. So, so hard for some people to understand that whenever you start talking about holiness, people start getting a guilty conscience and feeling condemned. No, no, no. Thank God we found the source of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It does not mean that we're to continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid. But it does mean that we're to know where there is forgiveness when we fail the Lord. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your... Isn't it interesting here, Paul doesn't say supernatural service. He says it's your reasonable service. What he's trying to say here is when you become a Christian, stop letting your body dictate to you what you're supposed to do. You take charge by your spirit. It's interesting, we speak of body, soul, and spirit, but when Paul was speaking, he speaks about, I pray God that your whole spirit, soul, and body be sanctified holy. That your spirit is to be in control of your, <coughs> your soul and your body, your personality, your desires, your appetites, and everything else. The spirit is to be in control of these things. He says, don't let your body dictate to you what you will and will not do in the days ahead. That's why Paul the Apostle said that we should crucify ourselves unto God. Be crucified. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Second verse, and the result now of committing your body completely to the Lord, he says, the result is being not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Now, a believer is to be transformed to a new person. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are dead, passed away, and behold, everything about them is brand new. Does that again mean that we're perfect? No, it means that we're going in a new direction. I've used it so many times. I can be going in this direction, and if I keep falling down and get up and keep going in this direction, I'm, I'm not gaining anything. I'm going further and further in that direction. But if I turn around and even go in this direction and fall down, if I turn back toward God as I'm going, if I stumble and fall, I'm still getting closer to the Lord. All the difference in the world. And that's being transformed, turning around and going in the other direction. What's another word for turning around? Repentance. That's right. In the Old Testament, shub. And uh, it, it means to turn around and go in the other direction. Metanoia is another word in the, in the Greek for repentance, turning around and having a different direction in your life. But be ye transformed by the... Now here it is. How, how do I get transformed? By the what? The battle is all right here between your ears. The battle is right here. I, I was listening today to uh, Dr. Dobson as I was driving. And he had some men on there who had in the past been bound by pornography. Did any of you hear that program today? And they told how horribly binding and addictive it is. They said it's just like drugs. One man was telling about the fact that he had been told the Lord he was free from it. He wasn't going to look at pornography anymore. And he was thanking the Lord as he was going out to dump his garbage. And when he threw up the uh, lid on the big dumpster and started to throw the stuff in, down in the bottom of the dumpster in the garbage was a pile of filthy magazines. And while he was thanking the Lord, he found himself going up over the edge of that and reaching down and balancing on the edge to try to pick up one of those magazines. And he went over balance and fell down into the garbage. And instead of getting up and shaking himself off, he found himself sitting in the garbage looking through those magazines. And he said, I didn't realize until I looked and realized I'm sitting in garbage and I'm reading garbage and taking it into my mind. 
There had to come a time when the Lord had to set them totally, set him totally free from me. Realize I can't let my body dictate to me anymore. That thing will destroy me. These men came and were willing to make that confession. And I want to tell you, a lot of young boys get involved in reading pornography when they're very small. Somebody shows it to them or they find it under the bed where their dads had it or they find it down the neighbor. One boy was on his way to school in the farming section and a car was driving down the road and he threw this box out off the side of a bridge and it landed down on the bank. And of course, any 11-year-old boy was curious what it was. Went down and the box was filled with these magazines. And he says he opened it and he had, all at first he was repulsed and then all of a sudden he felt this surging in his body and responding and everything. And he said he got addicted to that thing and he buried those things in, in, under some trees and kept them in a plastic bag and would go back and feed and feed and feed on that and it carried all the way up into his adult life. It took a long time before he was set free. He had to have the renewing of his mind. And he said, I found out that I'm one second away for the rest of my life. I'm one second away from being able to step right back into that. If I have victory today, I have to have victory tomorrow and claim total victory because it will destroy you. Be sure your sin will find you out. It will destroy you before long. It's all in the mind. If a person has a problem with anger or resentment or bitterness, it's not down here. It's in his mind. And every time somebody's name comes up, all of a sudden you open that little cell door, reach in, take them out and slap them back and forth the side of the face and stick them back in there and say, there, I took care of them again. You, see, you just keep them down, keep them in your mind. You have to have a renewing of your mind. That you be, be not conformed. Don't be like the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that what you do will prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Other people look at them and say, I see a change in their life. Now, well, this is all leading up to upholding biblical standards when relating to others. You and I cannot uphold biblical standards in relating to others if we do not allow the Spirit of God to renew our mind. We don't respond to people's actions toward us anymore like we used to respond. You know that if, I, if the Lord hadn't done a work in my heart, I couldn't have lasted 10 minutes in the ministry because I'd have decked half the people I met in the church. I came out of a neighborhood where you just fought at the drop of a hat. Any opportunity you had, you'd haul off and smack some guy. When I was in Bible college, I first went to Bible college, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to do that. I, wasn't, I hadn't been taught these things. And when a guy would mouth off to me in the dormitory, I'd deck him. I'd go into my room and I'd get down and God would convict me and I'd ask him for forgiveness and I'd have to go back and ask the, ask the Lord for forgiveness and then I'd go and ask the man for forgiveness and go back and thank the Lord for forgiving me. And I went through this process for a long time having to have my mind renewed that I didn't need to use my fists anymore. I didn't have to use that old temper as a defense mechanism anymore. But the Spirit of God has to make those changes in our lives. If we're jealous, if we have a jealousy in us, we have to realize we've got to give that jealousy up to the Lord. You and I cannot give our bodies a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ until we let these wars that are going on in our minds be conquered by the Spirit of God. It doesn't make a difference what we feel or what we think. It's what does the Word of God say. And he's preparing us for this. That's why he's saying all these things as we get on down here very quickly. For I say through the grace that is given unto me, unto every man that is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt every man the measure of faith. Now there's two dangers here. First of all, that a man will think too highly of himself and think that he's the hottest brand going. And God is sure lucky to have him on his side. And if the devil can't get you that way, where does he put you next? 
You're the most, worth, most worthless creature on the face of the earth. How could God ever have anything to do with you in the first place? And I don't know why you call yourself a Christian. And Paul is saying here one thing, there's one way to measure what your worth is in the kingdom of God, and that is by the measure of faith that you have. Now, if you can't believe God for anything, you need to get a closer relationship with the Lord and begin to know who He is and what He is. Begin to believe God for more in your life. Now, each one of you have the measure of faith. God gave you a measure of faith. He may only give you enough faith to believe Him for another meal. Or all of a sudden, He might start developing faith in you to where you'll be able to believe God for a million dollars a day for the ministry in the days ahead. But it all has to do, your, the, the basis of your value in the kingdom of God is your measure of faith, your relationship to God. What do you believe in God for? How is He going to use you? For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office or function. Now what's he talking about now? All of a sudden he's talking about the, the body, the individual's body. Now he's talking about the body, the church. See how he switches over very quickly here now? For as we have many members in one body, this body has many members, arm, finger, kidneys, all the rest of it, has all of them. Boy, let me tell you, when that one says, Here's, here I am, you've got, it's got your attention. Uh, and all members have not the same function. You know, my ear couldn't take over for my kidney last Sunday. I want to tell you up there, I felt like I was wringing wet from head to foot. Uh, then I thought I was going to faint, and I just couldn't. All because that little kidney, he never talks to me, but boy, he was speaking loudly to me the other night. And he has a certain function, and if that little rock gets in there and says, quit functioning, uh, he wants me to know it very quickly. Now, it has a different function from my foot. I wouldn't be about to try to put my kidney down a step on it like I would my foot. I'm just using some very crude illustrations here to show you that, but the Word of God says that every one of us are what? A member. Every one of us are a member of this local body. Now, some bodies may have 10,000 people in it. But in a body this small, let me tell you something, every member has to function for the body to do what God wants it to do as a body. You know that the, the complexity of an amoeba is not nearly as complex as, a, as an adult person. But every molecule of that little amoeba has to function too if it's going to get where it wants to get. We may not be as complex as some churches, but every one of us are a member of the body. Now he's started off by saying we're supposed to first of all commit our bodies totally to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's saying as the church were to function just like the human body, Every, one of the, every member of the body, according to the faith that it has, to function in the body. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. That's the other thing. Now, when my kidney hurt me last Sunday, every part of my body went, oh, can I help some way? I mean, I was just totally aware of that. I thought the only thing I had in my whole body was a kidney. That, was, that really spoke to me when I thought about what he's saying here. We all are members of the same body, Members one of another. 